Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or the SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Friday, June 9th, and today I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Chad Bridges, a resident student here at the U.S. Army War College. Chad and a small group of his peers have just completed a major research study here at the War College under the direction of my SSI colleague, Dr. Tony Echeverria, on whether the U.S. Army is prepared for a great power war. Specifically, the research team has spent the last nine months examining issues surrounding the expansibility of the Army in the event of a great power war involving the United States. Now, as listeners know, this is the latest in a series of podcasts that we're doing here at SSI Live on this interdisciplinary student-faculty research team led by Dr. Echeverria. Chad's part of the project focused specifically on personnel-related challenges of expanding the Army for a great power war, and I've asked him to join us today to discuss that portion of the study. Chad, welcome. Thank you. And Chad, let me ask you first to describe for us a little bit more about your part of the study and how it fit into the, the broader effort. We looked at the Army's ability to expand to fight a great power war across the .mil PFP framework, so doctrine, organization, training, uh, material, leadership, personnel, facilities. And my specific aspect was looking at personnel and, and within that mobilization. So if the Army was required to expand to double its size no earlier than 24 months, we said no later than, no later than 36 months, would the Army be able to expand its personnel to meet that type of requirement? Right, Chad, can you explain to us a little bit about why the Army would need to grow in a great power war? I mean, after all, we do have a million personnel in the total Army. Why would we need to make that Army even larger in the event of a great power war? The Army is an all-volunteer force, and the all-volunteer force has never fought a great power war. Not to say that it cannot, but can it sustain a large-scale great power war that would potentially be lengthy and and be able to man the be able to, to provide the manning requirements for an army that is globally engaged? And the other thing that I that I found was that the army, while fourth largest, it would not only be fighting this great power war; it would also be required to conduct the other tasks given it in the national military strategy, like defeat a near-peer adversary in one region, number two, deter another near-peer in another theater, while defending the homeland and countering violent extremist organization. And if you really look at the million, one million total army, it's not all one million soldiers who are deployable. There's a generating force in there. There's non-deployables in there. There's a training pipeline in that one million. And there are soldiers already committed to units that are meeting combatant commander requirements. And in that one million, 53% of it is in the reserve component. Okay, so it's not as if, if there were a great power war we would have the ability to simply deploy to some theater a million personnel to go and engage in that activity, in that combat? No, uh, it would be unlikely that we would be able to dedicate, we couldn't support one million of the existing force because of the way the Army is currently structured and the, the, the defense strategic guidance task that it's currently meeting. Okay, well let's take a dive now into some of your 
your research. Can you describe for us what were some of the key roadblocks or hurdles that you uncovered in the way of the Army or the Department of Defense expanding in this way for a great power war? Well, first, I didn't find that there's a lot of thinking for Army expansibility. And so I haven't found in my research, talking to subject matter experts at the DOD and the Department of Army level and, and across the Army commands, that there was a lot of thinking of this potential and and that would result in, in, in an expansibility plan. And it is a low probability, high consequence event, uh, but there doesn't seem to be an existing expansion plan that would either be gradual or accelerated to expand the Army in a large way. Moreover, I did not find that there was a lot of energy focused on full mobilization or total mobilization. Full mobilization would be mobilizing the total 1 million soldier army, and total mobilization would be mobilizing the 1 million total army, but also expanding it to some larger number than that uh, 1 million. And some of the roadblocks I found were that while the Army rigorously exercises Army Corps, divisions, and brigade headquarters through its command post warfighter exercise program, I did not find that the Army conducts similar training at the enterprise level for total mobilization planning or execution. And so if we're not thinking about the problem set, then we may not have a plan. And if we don't have a plan, then it may be an event that we have to execute in the crisis uh, with little preparation and, and training. Additionally, I found that some of the existing regulations and documentations are very old, uh, such as the 1988 DOD Master Mobilization Guide. It's referred to in various key mobilization documents as a planning document for DOD and the services, but it's 30 years old. It's referenced in Joint Publication 4-05 in the Joint Mobilization Planning Document, as well as the Department of Defense Directive 1235.12, which is accessing the reserve component. So that document would probably need a relook in terms of, of being updated. And if it's not if it's not a useful document, then it needs to be removed from those reference documents as a, as a key document. The other thing that I found was the Army's mobilization regulation, Army Regulation 500-5, was updated in April 2015, and it identifies, it, it tasks the Army commands, the Army Serv Service Component Commands, and the direct reporting units to complete mobilization plans. But those plans are either not developed or out of date, and so that those 26 plans make up the Army mobilization plan. And so the lack of completeness of those 26 plans, I think, brings into question the Army's mobilization plan as, as is constructed in, in Army Regulation 500-5. Additionally, Force Com, uh, Forces Command's mobilization, mobilization and Deployment Planning System, Form Depths, it was last updated in Jan July 1999, nearly 18 years ago, and we've certainly mobilized quite a bit since then in terms of supporting operations in Iraq and Afghanistan and other places around the globe, but we haven't mobilized to fight a great power, uh, certainly nothing in the scale of full and total mobilization. They are updating that regulation, or that, that regulation so, so that's currently under revision. And that is in the realm of the full and total mobilization 
the other thing that I found was that the Army does not have a detailed plan for large expansion. The National Commission on the Future of the Army made a recommendation, Recommendation 51, uh, in its report, which was recommending that the uh, Army create a large expansion plan. And to date, that, that that plan has not been created. RAND is working on something of expansibility, but there's nothing that would really, I think, test uh, the enterprise level and and get at the lines of effort that, that the Army would need to identify gap seams and challenges in the event that the Army would need to execute something of that scale. But Chad, let me ask you, it seems as if, from your research, that some of these doctrines or regulations or policies that the Army has, it sounds like some of them, for total and or full mobilization, haven't been updated or really re-examined since the end of the Cold War. Is that what you found in some of your research? I did. I found that the 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 effort and the energy and the resources applied to that type of thinking and effort drew down after the end of the Cold War in the late eighties and early nineties. Now I imagine that's a product both of the the so called unipolar moment, right? The absence of a peer competitor, but also the wars the US has been consumed with uh, after nine eleven, that is in Iraq and Afghanistan. Is that is that your sense also from your research? It is. Now, I think there there have, as the end of the Cold War, the base force that was created in the, in the early 90s had uh, reconstitution as a portion in, in that force. And so the defense leaders believed that they would have sufficient warning to be able to respond to something of an existential nature and expand the force to be able to support that. The world that we have today uh, is, is changed. It's changed since the unipolar moment. It's changed since 2012, when the Defense Strategic Guidance was issued in January of 2012. Uh, We've had a resurgent Russia, uh, an aggressive China, and we have some economic challenges that is really challenging the Army to get to full levels of readiness. Let me ask you, Chad, about your recommendations. How... In your view, can the Army or the Department of Defense try to overcome some of these hurdles that you've identified? I made a few recommendations. Some are, are key. Uh, the first thing is I would recommend the Army add conduct mobilization as an Army warfighting challenge. The Army currently has 20 Army, mo- Army warfighting challenges, and I think conducting mobilization would be a, another one to add because it, that would enable the Army to ensure that it can warfight effectively. It's about getting the force to the Joint Force Commander in a, in a timely manner. And I didn't see mobilization really represented in any of the 20 existing Army warfighting challenges. Additionally, update the outdated mobilization regulations and policies that I mentioned earlier, some of which are currently under revision. Thirdly, incorporate mobilization into more DOD and Army war games and simulations. Many of the war games and simulations that we conduct in the Department of Defense and in the Army do not exercise the mobilization process from a reserve component unit marshalling at their home station to going through a mobilization force generation station and being ready to deploy. Many of those start with the unit at ready to deploy date and putting more detail and more rigor into the challenges of of the mobilization process, I think would be more realistic and it would probably identify 
some gap scenes and challenges that defense planners would need to account for in meeting combat commanders' timelines. Force, develop and implement a DOD and Army planning process that plans for total mobilization. And so if the Army doesn't have a plan, the Army, I believe, needs to have one and then incrementally develop that plan and and make it better. If it's complex initially, make it less complex over time. The other thing that I think is important is the Army will not expand in a total mobilization environment on its own. It will have to have the support and resources from the Department of Defense. And so where are some friction points, where are some gaps, seams, and challenges that are identified in that process if DOD is not exercising it at the, at the department level? And then finally, have two plans for Army expansibility, an accelerated and a gradual plan. Is there an accelerated plan that the Army could use in the event that it would need to expand rapidly? And if it's something that there are warnings, is there a gradual plan that they could implement? Lieutenant Colonel Chad Bridges, one of the research and writing team members of the forthcoming War College study on Great Power War. Thank you so much for talking with us today about this vital part of that broader study. Thank you very much. Listeners, if you'd like to read the study on Great Power War, keep your eyes on the SSI website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu, where it'll be published shortly and available to download for free. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. Again, that's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.